Good morning. Do y'all call it yourselves Maranatha or MGC? Both? Either or. All right. Good morning, Maranatha. All right. Um, it's really good. It's so good being here with you this morning. I grew up in Jersey, so it's good to be in Jersey on a Sunday morning, to be back in the land of hoagies and good diners. And so um, it's, it's, it's been a, a joy being able to partner with uh, the youth group at times and um, just being able to visit here and there and get to know uh, some of us. And so it's lovely being here. Let me reread this passage, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. And I read a few verses before where we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is Apostle Paul, he says this, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But the Lord Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Have you experienced God's power in this way? Today, we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to examine a gospel truth that he writes to the church in Corinth. And then we'll see how that truth is really lived out in his real-life example. A little bit of background is by the time the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthian church, he had already faced many trials and difficulties and persecutions. And so a question I had is, why is Paul speaking of boasting in his weakness? Why is he boasting in his weakness? Who would do that? That doesn't make sense. I mean, you might be familiar with this passage, many of us, and it's like, oh, yeah, we boast. Our, but do you really? I don't think so. Who, who would do that? Why is he doing this? We have to understand that he wrote this letter to a specific church for a specific reason. And in the letter to 2 Corinthians, Paul, part of what he is doing is that he's defending his apostleship. Why? Because there were false apostles. He calls them super apostles. And they were discrediting Paul. They were discrediting Paul because these so-called super apostles that were in the Corinthian church and around them, they were saying, well, look at us. We, we are much more eloquent than Paul. We're much more competent than Paul. We have a greater following than Paul. We're better respected. We have a better resume. And you know what? Our life, our lives and ministry are blessed. They're trouble-free. Don't you see that we are blessed and highly favored from God? And you see Paul's life? Oh, man. His life is a mess. 
How could he be an apostle? He's He's not legit. And so part of what Paul is doing to the Corinthian churches, he's defending. He has to resort to defend his apostleship. And so when Paul says in his letter he's boasting, there really should be air quotes. I know there's no air quotes in your Bibles, but there should be air quotes. When he says, I'm boasting, what he's saying is he's like, okay, I'll play that game with you, super apostles, you so-called super apostles. I'll boast and I'll show you my resume and what actually makes me, qualifies me as an apostle. You think that qualifies you as a super apostle? Well, you know what? Look at my, look at my life. Let me boast as you're boasting. And so just a chapter earlier, if you want to follow with me in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, just, just a little bit earlier in the same letter, he says this, he reveals a little bit of what he's boasting about. Are they, when he says they, are those fake super apostles, are they servants of Christ? There's going to be a lot of air quotes, okay? He's pretty sarcastic. Are they servants of Christ? Well, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. I have far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. Apparently he had a face that you would like to punch. And he was often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times, not just once, but three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys far from home. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea, danger from false brothers who betrayed me in in toil and hardship, and through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Oh, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's what Paul is boasting about. Paul, we see here, has suffered much for the sake of Jesus' name. The bad news is that God puts weakness in our lives. When Paul says weakness in this context, you see, the weakness Paul talks about points to experiences, circumstances, and conditions that come with faithfully following Jesus. This principle can be expanded a bit, but let's just kind of focus in on what Paul is writing about. In other words, this weakness, if there are experiences and circumstances and conditions, things that happen to us that are outside of our control, but that come with faithfully following Jesus, as we follow Jesus. That means these weaknesses that Paul is writing about, they're not primarily, he's not primarily talking about his character flaws. These are not sins that he needs to repent of. Does that make sense? He's not talking about that. These are not mistakes that he has made necessarily. 
That's not really what he's talking about when he uses weakness in this context. As you can tell from this tone, society will see these qualities and conditions, these weaknesses, as undesirable or something that ought to be overcome and freed from quickly. But for Paul, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and by extension for us as disciples and followers of Jesus, weakness is an essential part of following our Lord. Because when we follow Jesus, we get to share in his sufferings. And so these conditions, these experiences, these circumstances, these weaknesses, they show and highlight our real human limits. And to be truthful and frank, these are hard, these weaknesses. These things that happen to us. Sometimes they're hard to reconcile, aren't they? Everything that Paul listed before, being beaten, being persecuted, being shipwrecked, going hungry at times, not having enough, these are not things that you would wish upon anybody. But we see at this point in his life, Paul has somehow learned, and Paul sees that God is the one who places and allows weaknesses in our lives. Practically for us, that means that many times the weaknesses that we face as we are trying to faithfully follow Jesus, as we're trying to live good lives, it won't make much sense to us. It won't. We're probably going to see these weaknesses as unjust, unwarranted, unprovoked, and again, to be clear, these weaknesses Paul's writing about are not his own moral failings or sins to repent from. These are the, just the things that happen to us. Part of our lives where we are weak, maybe looked down upon, that are troubles, even leading to suffering. These are things that maybe we can't change. We can't just grow and improve and somehow overcome. That's what makes them so hard. That's what makes it a weakness. In our society and culture, we, 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 we love the story, don't we? We love hearing the narrative of, I've overcome my weaknesses. I'm stronger because of it. I have no regrets. That's not what Paul's talking about here. That's not the message. Remember what he wrote? It's like, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should remove it from me, but the Lord did not. The bad news is that God puts weakness in our lives, that God allows these things to happen. The Lord in his infinite wisdom does not necessarily deliver us from every trouble. A more honest view of God is that he's more than just a get me out of jail or a, a breaking case of emergency accessory to our lives. 
Instead, Jesus calls us to follow him step by step, even facing persecution and suffering just like he did. So you see, that's, let's be honest, that's bad news, isn't it? God places weakness in our lives that we may not really be able to overcome or get over or have removed or be delivered from. Jesus promises his disciples that you'll face many troubles in this world because Jesus did too. So if that's bad news, if that's weakness, and that's not something we should actively seek out or even want for ourselves or anyone, why does, why does Paul say things, and he kind of switches from a sarcastic tone, I'm going to boast, to he, then he gets a little more serious and meaningful, and he says, he says things like, if I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. I'll boast all the more gladly. And he actually, like, means it. Why would he say something like that? Because God's grace, God's grace that he offers to Paul has transformed his perspective. The experiences in his ministry that he would naturally abhor and say, I don't want that in my life. That's going to make me look bad. This is too troublesome. He has learned the hard way to welcome supernaturally because the evidence of Christ's power in the midst of the troubles and weaknesses, brought glory to God, not Paul. In other words, when Paul came to the end of himself, Christ alone is exalted. So you see, the bad news is, and the reality is, that God places weakness in our lives, and they're hard, full stop. But the good news is that, but God works best in our weakness. The good news is that God works best in our weakness. How do we know that God is strong? It's when we feel weak. How do you know that God is your only refuge? It's when you feel vulnerable. How do we know that, that God is our provider? It's in those moments when we're at the end of ourselves and we're just, just hoping and banking on God. It's like... I, I need this, this daily bread just in time, isn't it? Those times when we feel desperate. How do we know that God is sovereign and good? It's when we not only think and feel, but when our lives are out of control. God works best in our weakness. So listen to how Paul, in the same letter, same letter in the Second Corinthians, listen how he starts off this letter, and it'll give us It'll give us a better idea of kind of his topic, his, his topic sentence, the thesis, kind of one of the main themes that he talks about throughout the letter. And it'll give us a little more insight to his viewpoint of this truth of the good news, but that God works best in our weakness. So he sees, Paul sees the state of weakness as good news, God's power working in it. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, just the beginning of the same letter, starting for verse 3, he starts off with this, all praise to God. This is something that's praiseworthy. This is something that is praiseworthy. This is something that is good. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. See, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. 
When they're troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. I'll read that part again. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it's really for your comfort and salvation. Because when we ourselves are comforted, we'll certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. We're confident that as you share in our sufferings, you'll also share not only in the sufferings, but in the comfort that God gives us. In verse 8, continuing on, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia, we don't know where exactly, and we don't know what he's talking about exactly, but something happened. He says this, We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result of that weakness, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And in that moment, he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him. He'll continue to rescue us in this life or in, even in death. Do you see in the same letter, that, that, that's the message that Paul is trying to get across to the church in Corinth. He said, listen, the bad news, the reality is, we're going to suffer. We're going to go have these weaknesses, these things happen in our lives that might be unwarranted. And as we follow Jesus, we share not only in the blessing and the life and the fullness of life that he offers, but also in the suffering. It's all part of it. But as we experience these sufferings, as we follow Jesus, these weaknesses, in those moments we get to turn to God for his comfort. We get to experience in a much more real, meaningful way God's comfort. Have you experienced something like that? Where it's not something that was scripted or you could ever predict or plan for yourselves, but you went through such a hard time such a hard time where you're just at the end of yourselves. And maybe not in the moment, but looking back, you realize it was only because of that moments of weakness that I got to know for real that God is my comfort. As Paul was comforted by God in his many troubles, he offered the same hope of Christ to others. Now, we don't know exactly what he, which kind of difficult circumstance he went through in this letter that he's talking about. He said, we went through such difficulty that we were crushed and overwhelmed. We didn't just get through it. No, we thought we were done. So while we don't know the exact story behind that incident, we can see a real-life example of this truth being lived out from Paul's life. We're going to fast forward three years later after he writes this letter to the church in Corinth. Three years later, 
Paul is arrested for preaching the gospel like he usually is. And he's taken into custody by the Romans, and he appeals to the Roman Emperor Caesar, and eventually he's on his way to Rome on a ship. And in fact, it's right around this time of year, October, November, and around, apparently in that region, sailing around this time is a big no. You don't do that. By November, most ships have stopped sailing at all because there were storms. The winter storms had settled in. And so three years after Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, he finds himself on a ship, on a boat, to Rome because he's being persecuted and arrested. And I want you to note, by this point, because, think of the timeline, because he has already written this letter to Corinth, he's already convinced of these truths, that God works best in our weakness. He already knows these things. He's already, he's already convinced of these things. He has already learned the hard way many times that God works best in our weakness. So Paul's perspective, even on, his, on this boat, that we can be sure of is that God brings us to the point of our weakness and helplessness that we might see his saving power and his comfort and grace at work in our lives. So I'm going to read again, I'm really just going to paraphrase in Acts chapter 27 when he's on this boat. And I want you to note, there's bad news and there's good news. The bad news, I want you to note that we suffer hardships and are brought to the point of helplessness. That God places weakness in our lives. You'll notice the bad news. And I want you to also notice the good news as I read and recount this story. When we are most helpless and are most weak, we are led to rely on the God who saves. God's, works, God, God's power works best in our weakness. So three years later, this is where Paul is on the boat. in Acts 27. Now when the south winds blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. Oh, it's October, but it's 78 degrees and sunny yesterday? Wow, amazing. This is perfect opportunity. Let's sail. Okay, so that's what's happening. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Nor'easter struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. And we managed with great difficulty, fearing that we would run aground, and we were violently storm-tossed. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. They gave up. They realized after many days, we're done. Since they had been without food for a long time, guess what? They had food on the ship. They just weren't eating. That's what hopeless people do. They stop eating. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Before this, before they took off, Paul even said, it's like, uh, it's October, November, guys. And the Lord told me specifically, this is going to end in disaster. Let's not. And the Romans were like, uh, we're going to. And so Paul is saying like, if you had just listened, we could have avoided this. I'm mentioning this because there's somehow this interplay of human responsibility in all this, right? Paul, he was kind of carried, uh, carried along. He didn't really have much to do with this. He was imprisoned. He was being persecuted. 
And through the decision of people, of men, through the mistakes and our human frailty and imperfections, at least partly, they find themselves in the situation. In verse 22, he says this, Yet, despite all that, yet, considering all the above, considering that, yes, kind of you got us here, yet, now, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. The ship and the structure that we're on is going to go away, but you will be saved. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you, which means everyone who is with you will also be saved. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. And sure enough, if you read along, all 276 sailors and men on board were saved. They make it alive. Did you catch that? The good news and the bad news. The bad news is they were helpless, in complete despair. They had given up. They have done everything that they could and all hope of being saved was abandoned. They were completely done for. And God allowed them to go through this great difficulty. God placed and allowed this weakness and this condition, this experience, this circumstance in their lives. This is not a blessed trip with smooth sailing. So that's the bad news. The good news that we see is that God works best in our weakness. When all human efforts had failed and there was no more hope of living, God showed his faithful and gracious plan to rescue them. See, it's tying back to, to Paul's life when he was writing to the church in Corinth and this experience that he had on the boat. Paul is qualified to be God's messenger, not because he's so capable and competent or prosperous or trouble-free, but because even in his weakness and troubles, God's great power is displayed. That's what's qualifying him. That's what qualifies you and me, us. You as a church, Maranatha. It's not because we're doing everything the right way and we're so great. And look at us. Something that really is like we can be boastful of, but actually even when we are weak, even when we're going through troubles, even when we're unsure, even when we've come to the end of ourselves, it's like, wait, I don't know how we can manage through this. It's as we turn to God, his great power is displayed. Through this weakness, through suffering, Paul was following Jesus, and he was embodying Jesus' life and ministry in a very tangible way. See, while they were on the boat, it's, it's not Paul who is mighty to save. It's not. It's not Paul who's mighty to save. They're, they're all in the same boat. They're literally in the same boat, him and the other sailors. They're weak and unable to save themselves. It's not Paul. There's nothing impressive about him. And the good news is that it's precisely through this weakness and help, helpless moment that they can see that God alone is mighty to save. And all Paul can do, all we can really do, is communicate this hope that we have in Christ 
to, uh, to the other people in the boat. So we see the bad news that God puts weakness in our lives. And yet the good news is that God works best in our weakness. We see him more clearly. That's the good news. But here's the best news. The best news is that God saves us by his grace. We see on the boat that God saw it fitting to speak through his one faithful servant, Paul, so that all the, the souls of everyone on that ship, though they did not yet believe in Jesus, were saved. That's his grace. In an even more amazing and perfect way, God saw it fit to work out his saving grace through the perfect one, Jesus, who brought salvation to all who would believe. And this salvation, how was it made possible? It was when Jesus condescended himself, making himself weak. Jesus was humiliated. He was spoken falsely against. Jesus was given over to the hands of his enemies. He was beaten. Jesus was scorned. Jesus was arrested. Jesus suffered. Jesus was crucified to death on the cross by his enemies. And when Jesus was at his weakest, the sovereign grace and power of God were on full display. At the cross and the suffering on the cross, which God did not take away, is where salvation was made possible. It was on the foolishness and weakness of the cross where God's perfect love and power and grace is demonstrated. Jesus suffered for our sake, bore the burden of our sin, died on our behalf, transferred his righteousness to all those who would believe. That's, isn't that weakness? And yet, through this weakness, Jesus rose again on the third day to demonstrate the power of God over death. God's power is made perfect in weakness. It's one of the great paradoxes in our Christian life. So we don't really boast in our weaknesses, technically, not really. What we're really doing is we're boasting in Jesus Christ, who though he became weak, rose again and was strong, overcoming death. And we can experience God's power and grace in a very real way, just like Paul did in a very real way. Through his life and ministry and through the sufferings that he faced as he followed Jesus, other people got to see the reality of God's power through Paul's weakness. Because the credit never went to Paul. Even when they tried to give it to Paul, Paul would redirect it and say, no, 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 all these even good things that Paul was able to do in his ministry, all the blessings, all the power, all the powerful miracles and the teachings, all that he kept on pointing, is like, no, it's not me. It's God who's mighty to save. It's Jesus. And in a very real way, more than just head knowledge, more than just talking about it, through his life and through weakness and through suffering is how Paul communicated and demonstrated through his life the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over again. And that's God's call to us. So how can we, how can we experience the power of God in a weakness? I offer to us three, three application points. And they're just taken directly from Paul's letter to the Corinthians that we read before. First is this, that follow Jesus realistically. Let's follow Jesus honestly and realistically. We recognize that the journey of following Jesus surely includes miraculous rescue and eternal life. 
generous provisions, healing and blessing, yes and amen. And following Jesus includes suffering and weakness, persecution and great troubles. It's all the above. So let's follow Jesus honestly. Author Kathleen Norris writes this. If, if, if grace is so wonderful, why do we have such difficulty recognizing and accepting it? Maybe it's because grace is not gentle or made to order. Grace often comes disguised as loss or failure or unwelcome change. As we seek to follow the Lord Jesus in both the blessing and the suffering, in strength and in weakness, the second application point is this, we turn to God. Turn to God in your weakness for his comfort. As we face these weaknesses, turn to God to be comforted by him. Turn to God and receive his comfort and remember that he is present with us even in that weakness. Not only when we feel strong, but when we feel hopeless, maybe even the most hopeless and helpless. Just like the Lord said to Paul, when he did not take the thorn away, but instead, while Paul had the thorn and weakness in his life still, he said, I give you my grace in the weakness. My grace is sufficient for you in your weakness right now. Turn to God in your weakness for his comfort. Instead of turning inward, instead of turning like a hardened heart, instead of being <gasps> surprised, why would such bad things happen to me? But if we're following Jesus realistically and honestly, sharing even in his sufferings, we get to turn to God in our weakness for his comfort. I wonder, are you experiencing a weakness in your life right now in this season? How about together as a, as a family, as a household? Is there circumstances, conditions where you don't know how you're going to make it? Possibly even as a church, you might go through different seasons where you will feel like this. I don't know, Lord, how we're going to make it. Could this be an invitation from, from the Lord to rely on him and experience his grace? And lastly, we share this comfort we have received from God with one another. We get to remind one another as a church of the greater hope we have in Jesus. We remind one another, another that the way of following Jesus is marked with sufferings and weakness. But it's in these times that we get to share in his comforts as well. And that we'll be more fully convinced of the hope we have in God. And so instead of being so discouraged in what appears in our weaknesses, we can encourage one another as we've been comforted. It's okay, let me share you my testimony. God is, God is good, he's gracious in this too. Perhaps even gently and wisely remind one another and point one another that this weakness that we're facing may be precisely God's method and means in which we get to experience God's power, 
his presence and his grace in such a more meaningful way, in a different way than we know him before. So what will you be known for, even as a church? Will we be super, a super people who always get things right and are, are, lead trouble-free lives and a trouble-free ministry, a trouble-free community, a trouble-free work and efforts? Everything just kind of works out all the time? Or will we be recipients of God's grace again and again? I wonder, whatever we're going through now, five years from now, when you look back, can we look back on this time and just imagine, we'll say, man, we were at the end of ourselves, but it was only, it was only by the grace of God that he delivered us and provided and kept us faithful. We can honestly say that it was just his grace. God's power works best in our weakness, church. As we experience this weakness, we can wonder if perhaps the Lord is teaching us to rely on him who is mighty to save. And as we share in Christ's sufferings, let's turn to God and receive his comfort. And as we receive his comfort, offer the comfort from God and the hope we have in Christ to one another. Pray with me. Gracious God, um, give, us, give us enough problems to keep trusting in you. Give us enough hurts to keep us broken and humble. Give us enough victories to keep us praising you. In our weakness, Allow us to know that you alone are mighty to save and comfort us in our troubles and weaknesses. Help us comfort one another with the comfort we've received from you. Because, Lord, only you can take what little we have to offer and fill us so that we can become more than conquerors. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your saving grace. Amen.